Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Joining us in conversation today from the pod at White City Place, Laura Housley and Vicki Hayward. Laura is a writer, editor, and consultant specializing in contemporary design. She began her career at Wallpaper as a design and architecture editor and has contributed to several esteemed publications since. In 2014, she founded Modern Design Review magazine. The same year, she curated an exhibition for the Ace Hotel during London Design Festival, which has transformed into the annual project Ready Made Go, now in its third year. Vicky is the head of culture and programming for Atelier Ace, the award-winning in-house creative services firm behind the Ace Hotel. Previously, she was creative director at 50 Foot Tall and at the Jaguar Shoes Collective, who have created a host of exhibitions, events, and publications. On the agenda, what we can expect from this year's Ready Made Go, how the Ace Hotel uses design to create spaces to let you do what you'd like, and Laura's process in putting together a magazine. opened the London Hotel in September 2013 and I think we wanted to do something for Design Festival uh, but it was a sort of extended opening shall we say so we just did something with Universal Design that year for Design Festival the following year we wanted to do something different and I believe you contacted our PR agency and they contacted us yeah. is that correct is, yeah. do we well, have the same story I think so <laughs> or I I might have gone directly to you oh I can't remember but um, they, maybe they just bigged you up a lot but we did they but we I remember we spoke really quickly and it was not long before mm-hmm. LDF. <laughs> and um, and there was a short period of time, but we pulled together a really nice exhibition yes. called Super Stimuli. And then we spoke afterwards, I remember, and to your credit, you, <laughs> you said um, something that has then kicked off our three-year collaboration. You, you said it was very successful and we had lots of people, but isn't it insane that we put in so much work for something that's temporary that goes away. And we'd, we'd done a number of installations and invited different designers to come in and interact with your spaces. And it was it was lovely. But then at the end of LDF, everything got, got shipped away. And I remember you being quite shocked at how <laughs> <laughs> disposable it all was. Which I shouldn't be, because that is my job, <laughs> is events. So, uh, yeah. It is. But I think when you're dealing with uh, furniture and products and you kind of see physical objects coming in, into a space and then exiting it at kind of five five or six days later it was so that kind of started our conversation about what we could do that had an element of permanency to it and that's kind of when we came up together with the the plan for ready-made go which is you know an unusual challenge <laughs> it is. I think uh well it's my understanding that we're sort of you know it's one of the only projects where we're in in the festival that produces real items that go into place sort of straight away as opposed to kind of like showcasing prototypes and there are obviously uh, lots of uh, restrictions that we have to work around being a hotel and being a public space (laughs) that Laura (laughs) manages very well. (laughs) Well it's a really nice project I enjoy doing it because it's not something that I do day to day it's not the day job making products I normally write about them and producing them is a whole different skill set which is not my own and um, 
we chatted about this before this is something you really enjoy as well I I think the kind of satisfaction of making something having something physical at at the end of the project and also something that lives on because Ready Made Go isn't just really about LDF the pieces are shown at LDF but actually they're they're in Ace Hotel all year round and permanently which is yeah I think that is really exciting especially when you do work on the event side everything you do has a a very clear sort of like timeline and ending and it's once it's done it's done it's it only lives on in pictures or in people's minds which is obviously great and nice and there's something really enjoyable about working in the end that isn't sort of permanent because you're much freer because if it goes wrong it sort of doesn't matter because it happens and it's done and you know you can move on but I think there's something really nice as a challenge for me as well similar to you that you know working in that end where you know it's got to stay there and and live there forever or until it gets stolen (laughs) um and which is also something we have to consider in the design Uh, (laughs) one of the requirements (laughs) to not get stolen (laughs) not to be stolen make it really great but not great enough that it gets stolen no um uh, we do have to think about that as well but yeah but there are a lot of parameters to the project which is interesting from a design perspective because what we're doing is we're making objects that are for genuine use Mm -hmm. but then they're also for use in a busy public space and a hotel and they also have parameters in terms of when they need to be ready the kind of materials that can be used uh, the kind of processes that can be used we have budgetary constraints so there's a long list of restrictions but I I personally think that that really forces good design and I, I think those restrictions are, are really what helps us to result in these amazing pieces for the for the show so I'm never too worried about presenting the <laughs> the long list of restrictions to designers in the brief because I know that that will that will really stimulate some good solutions yeah and I think the other thing that maybe differs slightly with our space compared to some others is that it's very like multifunctional so although it might be a restaurant People don't necessarily treat it like a restaurant, like Hoi Poloi, they work in the booths, they kind of like lie on the booths, they kind of, people feel very comfortable, I notice in a lot of our spaces, so they, they're having their own individual experience and it it's not sort of prescribed, I suppose, what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. but I think that in turn adds more challenges to the design because the spaces can be less formal and people can go a bit more wild and you know people do jump on the tables and and that all has to be considered so it's quite nice coming from the perspective of doing events because you've seen it all so you can offer some guidance (laughs) as to what might happen to these designs and it's, it's interesting how rare a true brief like that is actually for designers to receive a a brief that is for a specific public space with specific needs and I'm glad that we can give that to designers what do you find interesting about the process or surprising about the process because when when I'm commissioning the items I've already have a good idea of what mm-hmm. what we're going to get at the end of it because I by that point I will have already had a good think about how the specific designer works what techniques they might apply what materials they've been using at the moment and I think I already have quite a good image of and it's always quite close to what I imagine it might be. But what do you find in the process? Is that the same for you? Or is it when you see the items that we present for the first time, is it? I mean, I feel like I know you well enough now that I know what your brain's <laughs> thinking. 
thinking. So I think nothing comes as like a total surprise. The part that, yeah, I guess I enjoy the most is learning about more about the kind of process and the materials. I trained as a blacksmith and a silversmith, so I, I like the physicality of working with, you know, different materials. So seeing what the designers come up with and how they um, how they use that, especially when they kind of, I think the soap dish was a really nice thing. It was an I-beam, very, very simple kind of cut, you know, tumbled and anodized. And I think that's really nice to, I think, yeah, that's the part I enjoy the most, kind of learning a little bit more about different mediums that, you know, I don't work in. Yeah, certainly anymore. Which is also the pleasure for me. That's what being a design journalist is. It's just being curious about about all of those things and having having the opportunity to follow them and, and learn about them. I, I really enjoy that too. I think we learn a lot through each year of all the <laughs> <laughs> different processes and, and, and different methods of making. Yeah, and I think also that coming back in a year later and, you know, still seeing that item there being used and, you know, it's great to see when all the press come around and everyone's like, you know, ring and, you know, praising something, but actually just to see it in use every day and people almost like not noticing it is um, is also quite satisfying and it just becoming part of the, the furniture, literally, I guess, in yes. many cases. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Beautifully put. <laughs> it is indeed. And what about, because this project is unique to ACE, but you do commission a lot of other projects and work with a lot of other people when you when you work on something like this how much of it is your personal interest how do you pick who you work with or is or is it more calculating than that I think I suppose in terms of what I do which again is sort of the event side it's not the architecture or the interior side we have spaces to fill so perhaps in the same way you have pages to fill not that's what what I'm saying drives you but that's the starting point oh, um, it helps yeah <laughs> do you start with I've got a hundred pages to fill is that how you start no. <laughs> all right <laughs> I don't I should <laughs> if I was more professional I might do but does no. your page number change yeah okay yeah so yeah that's not even a, a restriction for you then. no and I I would like to think it's really really not as well because I think when I put the magazine together, I'm very um, indulgent <laughs> to myself and I give stories what I feel they need to have. And, and yeah, I just kind of keep going until I'm satisfied. <laughs> but that's not how, um, how so a lot your of mainstream is titles work. Yes. But again, it's um, I always think if you're producing something independently and that's so hard as producing a magazine is, I think you have to, or for me personally, I have to allow myself to make it the best that it can be yep. in, or, in order to really make it worth doing. And so a lot of those more traditional restrictions, I ignore yeah. <laughs> a little bit. And it's it, not a weekly or a monthly, so you can no. as well. It's not. We, um, and we, we also purposely don't have sections in the magazine for that, that very reason, that we can just kind of produce the stories in the size that they work best at mm -hmm. and the, the page count that it needs to be. So, but... What is your starting point then? If it's not a deadline, it's not page numbers. It's, Do you like how I've turned question around on you? <laughs> yeah, um, it's making me sweat. No, it's a, um, yeah. I deal with content really. I think it's about fully rounded content for me. There, there are certain subject matters that I like to cover, and then the stories kind of daisy chain along. So it's about following a thought process. So it is about beginning with a certain idea or a series of ideas and following it through to a natural conclusion and then finishing. 
You're listening to Thought Starters with modern design review editor Laura Housley and head of culture and programming for Atelier Ace, Vicki Hayward. I don't think we work in like a dissimilar way. Well, the starting point is kind of the spaces. And when we open a new property, we look at what those spaces are and we look what's like a natural fit. But then it evolves from there. I don't think we would have ever said two months before we opened London that we'd be doing this ready-made go project. That that came just by constantly evolving. And I think we start with a base and then we just try to evolve it and evolve it and evolve it and, and make it different. And although each event has a very like finite deadline, as a whole, there is no end point. And I think that was the, the first time I realised that was uh, we have a 365 day of the week DJ programme in the lobby. And uh, when it started in London, the first one played, I was like, this is great. And then I was like, oh my God, this never ends. This never ends now. And that was like a really terrifying moment. Um, so yeah, and then obviously we layer on top and we layer on top and, you know, we certainly aren't short of programming. And I think most people that work at the company are interested in doing something new rather than sort of maintaining necessarily. Yeah. So that is that then becomes the exciting challenge. And I think that's what keeps us all interested and, and all moving and forward. And that's how you keep momentum then, because I imagine that's the, that's the challenge to keep to keep those events coming yes I mean it is and isn't the nice thing is is that once you start once you kind of put those initial kind of people and programming in place what comes through I mean we're really really lucky that we just get cold calls like yourself from like amazing people and actually I sometimes find the challenge that we have to say no to a lot of stuff that we would desperately want to do I think because we do have the ability to work quite fast um, we definitely take on some things last minute um, but yeah I think sometimes the actual challenge is being like you know what we can't do this to the best that we would like to do this so like let's push it back or let's hold on so that often actually becomes more of the challenges kind of what not to do rather than what to do I think. We did a thing in that first year when we first started doing this a lot about what a public space is and how hotels function and I looked back at some kind of classic hotels, like um, some of the Arne Jacobsen hotels and, and places that, that had been built with everything made specifically for that space, which is doesn't happen as much now, but there, there's a real kind of integrity into that way of filling a space with mm-hmm. interesting and relevant objects that it was interesting to kind of re- reflect upon in doing this. And of course, your hotel is now full of lots of different <laughs> interesting <laughs> objects. And... It's worth saying as well that before we started doing this project, Ace Hotel wasn't a barren design wasteland. You'd already been commissioning a lot of people from London and and producing a lot of one-off pieces as well. So that was obviously something that you were already really interested in doing. I mean, each one's different. They are supposed to be, they're supposed to feel like Ace, but they're also supposed to feel like their geographical ending. So London is supposed to feel like London. It's not supposed to feel like Ace Hotel New York in London. It's supposed to feel different, but obviously still have some sense that it's an Ace Hotel. And I think that really comes from the partnerships and that because it's because they are dialed in on that local level. So you have to commission people from the area in order for it to make sense or just to like make people feel I guess at home in some ways and I think that's why it's quite successful as a a public space in the sense of you know probably I would have said 60% of the people hanging out 
in the lobby and the restaurant and the venue are maybe even more than six percent are from London. They're not necessarily hotel guests or, or visiting London, but they're not hotel guests. So, you know, obviously it's the programming as well, but it's the the how the spaces that kind of draws those people in and makes it sort of a, a hangout spot, as it were. Because I don't think that was a thing in London, or certainly I don't remember ever hanging out in a hotel. No. <laughs> I think it was quite common in the US. Yes. I think it was a bit more, yeah, there was a few more people doing it, but I feel like at the time, certainly, you know, when I was interviewing, I was like, what is this? Like, oh, cool. <laughs> people hang out in hotels. That's new. <laughs> so, yeah, it's nice to kind of see that take off as, as it was intended and people just feeling very comfortable in that space and using it how they would like and people having very, very individual experiences next to each other. One person's like asleep on the sofa, one person's like furiously emailing, one person's downing drinks and they're all kind of sat next to each other having a very individual <laughs> experience. Well, I think there's a blurring also of the, the use of those spaces, how, how we use public spaces and how we use private spaces has, has changed hugely in the past decade mm. really homes are offices and offices are homes offices are homes <laughs> yeah absolutely it yeah it has changed and and that has made demands on furniture design to adapt and to change to suit all those different environments yeah so i think if you think about the progressive big tech companies and you think about what their public space is like and they're encouraging you know their workers to stay there hang out there i guess that is quite similar to a hotel in, in a sense you know yeah <laughs> you're encouraging people that are staying or you know in that case working to also like frequent your spaces as well your other public spaces so and also I think it's interesting how much we share images of those spaces as well is there such a thing as the private space anymore even with our homes I think it's there's been such a shift at, at some point that would be a private space but mm-hmm. now not so much and I, and I think that's changed how we how we style our homes and how we live in our homes. Do you feature many kind of like private homes? No. Because I can't think of an article where you have, but no, I'm just wondering whether don't. I've missed something. No, no we don't. But, it, but that's because I was always, I didn't want MDR to be an interiors magazine. Yeah. So we focus very much on product design. And if I feel it's interesting to include a space or an interior, mm-hmm. we do, but we don't so much profile private homes is there anyone's home you would like to (laughs) profile or visit (laughs) certainly some (laughs) if some people came up yeah Yeah. but I but I think it would be more connected to product design it would have to have some kind of relevance to a a larger story I think Mm -hmm. interestingly the next issue we've got not a home interior but a garden of somebody really interesting and although that was outside of our normal remit yeah it was worth including and it was worth focusing on because it told a bigger story about that particular designer and so if something is relevant in that way I I would include it yeah yes I'm sure like designers homes are probably pretty interested especially when they've um had a big hand in construction them I know for example the lobby bar in London is made by Max Lamb and it's the same as his roof. So he was working with these um, zinc welders and we went over to his house and they made us a bar as well. So um, I've not seen his finished house, uh, but yeah, I imagine that. I have, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of uh, very clever solutions to problems there. It's, yeah. it's a pretty beautiful old building. So yeah, um, but yeah. So I think, I guess that his home influenced 
our bath. Yeah, and those, those kind of <laughs> those kind of processes are completely transferable as well, mm-hmm. and increasingly so as well. That somebody like Max would apply the same manufacturing technique to his architectural roof as to your interior bar is very timely, I think. Yeah, you know, I said I was pretty interested in how things are made, and I think what you produce, you know, obviously has an understanding of that. Do you think that's part of what you want to kind of get across in the magazine is like the actual sort of, I guess, that production. So because you now obviously do have experience in it because we work together mm-hmm. on this. So we do, okay, yes, we're not experts in any of these fields, as I was sort of saying. We, we're jack of all trades. We know a tiny bit about many things now. But um, is that something that you want to kind of get across in the magazine, that the materiality and the, the how, the how rather than the here it is, sort of. Yeah. The, and maybe, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And um, maybe the details of it are what interest me. The magazine was born out of a bit of a, a frustration, personally, of, of being asked to write quite short pieces about what I felt were, were quite big stories. And so MDR kind of allows me to kind of luxuriate in the details of design. And that's what really interests me so we'll we'll have a big story about wood joints (laughs) and um and those those kind of elements so it's it is i think it's in a way it's explaining process and materials but it's also about really getting under under the skin of the design process and design thinking i think there's probably more of an appetite for that now as we do sort of go to this like local by local you know kind of that is fetishized people want to know how things are made yeah Whereas they don't perhaps just want to be told. Because they also, you know, perhaps also want a story as well. You yeah. know, I bought this. Oh, this is how they made the joint. You know, they, there's something to talk about. And I think well. there's, there's also a level of interest that allows somebody like me to play around with how you present those stories as well. And to make them engaging and entertaining or romantic or, you know, to really kind of use a medium to express all of those things that at one point might have been considered a little bit dull or, or really not worth 14 pages in a magazine, <laughs> which is what we gave the wood joints. So, you know, I, I do think there's a level of interest and kind of a sophistication of knowledge as well that it's good to talk to and good to encourage. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, somebody's put so much time and effort into that. It's nice to celebrate that rather than just the final piece. And I think, as again, someone that sort of produces events, the only moment that sort of enjoyed is the moment that it happens but as someone that does that when I see another event coming together I'm just thinking about oh my god the person that had to do that they must be so tired (laughs) you know and I find it actually hard to go to other people's events because I start feeling like I should help um (laughs) so yeah it's I guess it's nice to sort of show that side of it and and present that and celebrate the the process rather than the perhaps the just the finished yes item And I think there can be a lot of gloss applied to final products or to, in your case, final events. Whereas if you're in the industry and you understand the work that goes on kind of behind the the scenes, I think that's always interesting to share and to, to let people know. And I think also especially the best, often the best work or the best event is, as we were saying earlier, the one that appears the most effortless. Yes. And that's usually one that was the hardest. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's nice to it's nice to celebrate that. I think. <laughs> We're talking about ourselves again. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um, yes, I think you know. There's always a point, you know, somewhere in the 
in the LDF, in the ready-made GoPros, we were like, why have we done this to ourselves again? Uh, and then, you know, the party yeah. happens and it's <laughs> we forget about it. <laughs> we drink some drinks and just try and forget <laughs> and do it again the next year. That was Modern Design Review Editor, Laura Housley, and Head of Culture and Programming for Atelier Ace, Vicki Hayward. This has been Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a Dianne Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by Claire Urban, and edited by Claire Crofton. <laughs>